This is the Life-Changing Conversations podcast. Thought-provoking, boldly pioneering, provocative, challenging, funny, shocking, and intriguing. And that's just Neil Shah. The colorful Mr. Shah delves into the lives of his eclectic mix of guests with his probing, curious approach. Neil explores what these ordinary people with extraordinary stories are all about, discovering what motivates them, how life's experiences have shaped them and changed the course of their lives. After hearing this, it will change yours too. Neil will have you laughing, crying, and shouting at your speakers. Stand by for this week's life-changing conversation. So welcome to a brand new life-changing conversations. Today I'm here chatting with global superstar DJ and co-founder of Happy Days, Brandon Blog who's been described as the joker in the pack, the Ibiza nutter, and he also created the caner of the year category. His spiraling drug habit, which at his peak saw him take an ounce of cocaine a day, left him fighting for his life and being told that if he didn't change his ways, he'd be dead within a couple of weeks. Brown has turned his life around and become one of the most evangelical people I know, discussing the benefits of personal development. I've read Brandon's new book, The Life and Lines of Brandon Block, and the briefing notes, and you have no idea how much he's been through. And I'm personally still flabbergasted that he's even here to tell the tale. I don't know anyone that has taken as much drugs as he has and have been able to live to tell the tale. But I'm absolutely delighted he is. And there's clearly a reason that he is still here. There's clearly been some kind of divine intervention that has allowed him to be sitting here with me about to get into one of the, the conversations that I've most looked forward to over the course of the last couple of months. Someone that I have been at parties out where he's been playing brandon there's so much i want to talk to you about but first let's just spend a bit of time talking about how you got it. let's go back to the early days you know your your first kind of step into djing i think there was kind of this set that the local dj didn't turn up you were given that opportunity just talk to me about how you got into this how this whole journey started so all right um there i was at school getting bullied for various reasons um unaware that this was going to impact on me, which I, I, I can imagine that this was half where it started, you know, the, the mm. school being, you know, not knowing where you fit in as an only child and, you know, uh, you just, I suppose, it's incredible learning to know now that this is where this stuff can, you know, develop, right? So, in lunchtime school discos, right? Body popping, shuffling, jazz dancing, I meet all my mates to this day and the lunchtime school they were all a lot older than me like all fourth years I'm a first year I've sort of pulled on their blazers and sort of asked them to look after me because I was feeling a bit vulnerable they all embraced uh, or, or sort of nurtured me and sort of took me under their wing I actually had I was only bullied for a little bit of time because I ended up making all the friends of the people who bullied me and all my best mates to this day anyway so it was only a period of my life but um the lunchtime disco was fantastic. You know, I grew up with my love of funk and soul and dance and hip hop music, which progressed to the local pub of the John Lyon, which was great. And uh, yeah, my first uh, step into drinking pills and half beer and you know lager and light and uh, light and lager, sorry, and bitter, a bit of tops and you know mm. snake bites and all this stuff. And then, as as you know, as the book says, and you sent uh, one week, we used to go there. It's a various nights for dinner. So it was rock and roll night on a Thursday. I remember this vividly. Friday night was the the disco night, let's say. Um, so myself, Ali, who's my best mate, and also Lee Birch, who was uh, one of my best mates at the time. The DJ was there, I meet him. Do you know what, I bumped into him about. I got a message on Facebook a while ago about saying, you nick my job, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> 20, 
20, 35 years ago. I said, oh my God, you've got to move on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, uh, anyway, so the, he didn't turn up. And uh, so then the owner or the governor said, look, can you not go and get your records? And we went, we'd love to. So that was our first, uh, you know, episode into a, a first introduction to DJ. So we all went home. We got, we all got, I think we got a lift for someone, but we all went to each other, it went to one house and we went to the other house and we other house. We all come up by milk crates and by 12 inches. We bung them in the car. We go back to the pub. So we put them behind the decks. We play and it goes off. Obviously we got all our mates in there. We've got all the people who usually come. A load of other people turn up because we've got the message out that we're playing music that night. So it just becomes one of the busiest nights I've ever had. That in turn uh, is a catalyst of event where he sacks the old DJ and says, sorry, we don't need you anymore. We've got our locals. Me and, me and my two pals, we used to play for 30 quid, right, and get a tenner each. That tenner used to get us a taxi up to the West End, into Ombres, drunk all night, cab home, and a kebab. <laughs> and a kebab on the way home for a tenner, right? Oh, those days, if I could do that again. Anyway, so that's what happened. So we, that, that, that pub, that sort of Friday night happened for quite a while. Um, it became really, 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 really popular. And then after that, the, the, the pub organisation, the pub 80s actually asked myself and Ali to go around, do a lot of the other pubs in their group. So we ended up buying a blue, a British Telecom yellow comma van. Nice. I went to Tandy and got the first personal account, my first introduction to higher purchase, which was a bloody silly thing to do, but anyway. Uh, we bought big speakers, we bought big amp. So, yeah. so, so obviously at that point, it was very much soul and funk, and I know that's your background. Yeah. But how did you feel when Rave, Acid, House started coming on the scene? And obviously it wasn't just the music, there was a whole kind of scene that went along with that. Yeah. And that's where kind of the whole drugs started to filter into the party scene. Well, look, I mean, from, from, from that moment, I was very anti drugs right back then because I'd been I'd had an experience when I was 13 or 14 with some um, cannabis and it, it, it just absolutely killed me really 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 had a bad negative effect and I, I, that put me off I was always into the music right I, I was always about the music for me I mean um, even if it was house music I thought I loved the music I just loved the music anyway all my mates were going to warehouse parties and in 88 the early ones there was about three or four they went to before I got involved, because uh, I'd said, look, I'm not going, I'm, I'm, you're just not getting me, I'm not taking drugs, mm. ever. So I'm not gonna go. And you kept going, oh, the bells, the bells, the bells. And I was like, and the bells actually is a, a record that Paul Oakenfold made called mm. Dance With The Devil. Mm -hmm. And at this point, with the whole thing of the music and the ecstasy and all the rest of it, it just seemed that this, this moment on the night was the epic moment. So anyway, I ended up succumbing to a uh, an acid house party, which was uh, where I, I, I sort of tried my first ever ecstasy pill, and I've gone from then. It was like, wow. Mm. I immersed myself in this, you know, this, this culture, let's say, which, all right, gets to a bad place. But w w the music we used to play then was incredible. The whole community we created then was incredible. The whole synergy we had with each other was incredible. And there was like a social awakening and it had value there was purpose in it we had a there was there was a goal the goal was we would be so close to our friends and playing some great music that was our goal each week to go and hear really cool new records and at that time that's what we were aspiring to to find great music and to listen to fantastic music change the way you feel and music became a movement because and it's, okay this is a really powerful analogy because to a degree and just reflecting back on it now I've never looked at it in this way 
but the experience we were having in those days was true mindfulness. Because when you were there, and when you were at a gig, or you were at a rave, you are in a warehouse party, or Lid Airport, or whatever. Airport. You were just there. You Lid weren't Air. thinking about tomorrow or the next day. It was just the moment, and it was the most blissful, incredible moment. I appreciate some of it was chemical induced for many yeah. of us, but the reality was that even if you strip the chemical elements away, we were there present with the people around us experiencing that moment. We weren't standing there with our freaking smartphones no. videoing the experience. No. We weren't sitting there taking pictures. No. We were just living in that moment and it was incredible. But I guess the other thing is that music wasn't just designed to be heard, it was designed to be experienced. Absolutely. absolutely. And that's a completely different thing. I think music generally has to be an experience, right? Some of it will resonate at different people at different times and different different reasons. Because we map our lives by music. I think I think most of us lap our I'm not saying all of us, I can't generalise. I think a lot of us map our lives by music. I definitely did. And I know there's certain records I can hear which may not come from any particular area or it, but it will have a have a meaning because of something it impacted on at that one point in my life. So I think what what I'm very, very grateful for now is that I can still feel the passion, still get something, still feel something, still listen to something and go, wow, that really has, has an impact on me. You know, there are certain chemicals that match certain lifestyles that we lead. Yeah. Uh, and having been down this road myself, I guess, uh, you know, the, 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 the thing I really want to explore with you is the whole rise to fame, that newfound significance, adulation, where everybody wants to talk to you, everyone wants to be around you. How did that impact you? Well, I mean, look, I actually think, no, again, see, see, I don't think anything led me there. I think that was an incidental part of what okay, happened. Okay, fair enough. Right? I don't think I was led to that. I don't, I wasn't, I don't believe I was programmed to go down that road and go hell bent at taking something. I think I was just, I think the other stuff, what you mentioned, was more, resonates more with me. So like the adulation, the significance, mm -hmm. the uh, the fame, and the, you know, the being part of something. Mm -hmm. That I liked the musically, especially, and being how part. How did that impact? How did that feel? How did it feel? I mean, you know, I suppose you know now knowing what we know, all those chemicals we already have inherently, like serotonin and dopamine, and you know, adrenaline and oxytocin, are all being released. So now you have this environment you live in, which are is is, is naturally releasing all the chemicals which are inherently in us to make us feel good and make us feel uh, ecstatic, even and make you know to make life wonderful without the use of you know added mm -hmm. stimulants. Or chemicals, these and that becomes wow. You know, we aim for pleasure as humans. You know, we don't like pain necessarily. Um, so, having all that, you know, the adulation, the connectivity, the the feeling, the touch, the love, the you know, the, the adulation, the significance, the the whole thing. You can imagine that as as, as your lifestyle. It, it, how does it make me feel? Credible, man. And, and you know the, the the fact is that you got pretty much right to the top you know global dj you're on tv celebrity big brother the brit awards in fact if i remember correctly you got into a bust up with ronnie woods didn't you oh that was fun it was <laughs> that's in rolling stones ronnie wood yeah, yeah it wasn't personal it was just it was just it just happened it was a timing thing it just happened to be ronnie was up at the time i was you know in my in my place i'd been the blocks the single had gone number three in the charts the year before, which was the highest entry for a dance record. He wasn't expecting it. I knew something would happen that night. I don't know what was gonna happen. It, it just a series of events took me to where it was. It was quite funny. It wasn't intentional with Ronnie by any means. It was not, I, it wasn't a personal attack. It just happened that what transpired was quite 
<laughs> controversial, let's say, I suppose, in Brit folklore. But, you know, it added to the evening. Everyone loved it. And, you know, even Ronnie afterwards, two weeks later, said it was rock and roll, which it was. You know, it was rock mm. and roll. It was a moment in rock and roll. Um, I was very embarrassed at the time. But now I look back and I think, you know, my intention, if I look at my face, I find it quite funny because I, I actually do think I'm up there to win an award. The award's definitely nothing to do with me. And I sort of say, when they say the whole, what award it is, I, my face, you go, you know, you, you tuck. Like, uh, like I haven't won. I was, oh, no, unlucky. Mm. And that's my face. It wasn't like... It was like, I was like, <laughs> what are you doing? It was funny. Davina knows me, so you know, it was, it was that whole, look, you know, it, it, it was an experience and a moment in time which was quite, you know, until to this day, it's 20 years ago now. Mm-hmm. 20 years, man. But yeah, it was funny, what a moment. So, you know, back in those days of, of hedonism, who yeah. was keeping you grounded? What was it like when you returned home for family visits? Did people around you that you'd known for a long time notice that you'd changed? I think most of my, let's say most of my close friends, nearly all of my friends, and we all know, knew what I'd undertaken journey-wise, because I think they all realised that if I hadn't done that, I'd have been, not been here. So I think a lot of them realised that I was on a journey, and, and through meeting them and uh, discussing stuff that was going on for me, they realised that you know I wasn't in a great place. I think everyone was sort of pretty pleased that I hadn't got to the worst place, um, obviously my mood swings and other stuff that was going on for me were pretty hard to deal with so I sort of kept myself to myself a bit I had a very, I very had quite a close core group of friends who I'd speak to about certain things that were going on for me uh, but generally you know, I still had to wear a certain mask when I was out and about because you know, a lot of people did, didn't, couldn't understand that I'd done what I'd done this is, you know, obviously at first the whole kind of relationship with music and drugs it would have been about the good times you know, we all start those kind of experiences it, you know, because it's joyful, it's connection, it's fun. But what point did you realise that it wasn't fun anymore and you might have an issue? Right, well, basically, I realised that. I knew that there was... I knew I was playing with fire. I knew it for a long time. But I was in a place of, well, I, I didn't care. You know, I, was, I wasn't loving myself. Mm. Uh, so I, I just sort of knew there'd be a moment. I was sort of waiting for that, that time to happen when I went into, into the, the darkness. And it, I knew when I went into the darkness, I actually realised, I saw, you know what I've learned a few times in my life, my head has clicked, mm. right? Actually clicked into like, you know, like, if we talk about cognitive behaviour, let's say, or just cognitive, I can feel, I've, I've felt about four or five times in my life, complete clunks of cogs fitting into place, right? Where they've been so out of whack. And this one time was when it clunked into a place where I knew I'd gone over the edge, right? into entrenched use, right? And I, I felt it, because my head went dunk, and then, because everyone used to say, you're doing, you would be careful, and I'd be so, you know, don't start talking to me, I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. I was waiting for this thing to happen, so I've been on a challenge, you know, I've been challenging myself to get to this place, and it did, and it clunked, and then everyone went, I said, look, it's too late now, I've gone over. And I said to them, I've done it, I know where I am now, I'm in that place. But then, hold on, then the same thing happened when I got to a place of, so being so physically ill and unable to function now because what happened was my mind had twisted in an awkward state that I couldn't function without it and I, I was paranoid when I wasn't otherwise you know I wasn't taking uh, drugs which meant that I was completely like this without so what happened was I got to this place and I thought I, I thought you know I'm not it, 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 I'm, if I carry on I'm going to die 
So I, I'm too scared to stop. So let's see. Let's so be it. Let's see what happens. And you know, from my understanding, you got pretty bad. I'm talking about you know the the. Am I correct in saying it was like you know putting cocoa put it on your cocoa pops for breakfast and it, lines before you get up. It got um, to it got to a place which even now when I think about it, it makes me cringe. It was so all-encompassing. I can't explain it. I can't explain because I can't imagine it anymore. You know, it was mm. such a such a, a, a fierce and um, terrible, not terrible, yeah, terrible moment. I don't. Yes, it was all-encompassing. My 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 life. Let's say my life cycle was uh, governed by where that next bit was coming from, and I'm talking about every moment of the day. Not not an evening, not a night, not a weekend. Every moment of the day, and that's the way it was. And it was like that from morning to noon to night. If I slept at all, and I couldn't get up without having you know something to get me out of bed, and I couldn't. And I used to put on my coca pops, and I used to do every you know crack every, everything. I try just to try everything to make life different. I suppose because it was in a way. But then were you having to take things to sleep at night and stuff like that? Because like, you know, if you've got yeah, that much Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I look, even at the time before we knew that they were, rohypnols were uh, available because a lot of people experimented with them because they were very powerful. Uh, they're benzodiazepines. And uh, I, used to, I used to get them and, and take like four or five to sleep. And, you know, people would take one to like, and it would knock them out for two days. And I would not I would wake up two hours later and be, just be like more twisted than ever. And lot, 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 don't forget, alongside that sleep deprivation, because I wouldn't sleep for three or four days. So you can't think clearly. You can't, I mean, the whole thing, I, I, I must have been in a cloud of, oh, the thing that, the, the picture that comes into my head is like merciless Ming when he's heading towards that mushroom in the slide, you know, and that, that's, you know, with, that's my head. You know, when you're in that state, you, you start to feel paranoid, you can't function, oh. um, you, you know, like, didn't people around you start questioning well, I, say, yeah, I, mean, I think that I think I don't think I was. I was so I was so able to function on it. I don't think anyone noticed. I'd actually changed my persona to be a functioning with the way I was doing it, which is I mean it's incredibly powerful to do that, but incredibly bad to get out of. So I don't think anyone actually noticed the, the, what I was going through here. Because that's interesting. Because you know you've always been a big personality, the one that's always going bigger and better, the one to pull off a crazy stunt, take more drugs, party the hardest. You know, the, 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 I guess there's a compulsiveness about your nature which could be used in a constructive or destructive way. You, you very much come across as an all or nothing kind of guy, and I can relate to that because mm. I'm very much the same. But you, you know, like, even with with with, with um, the, the cocaine use, you know, from you know reading your book, it got to an ounce a day. That's 28 grams. That's for anyone that doesn't know about cocaine use. That's that's a a ridiculous that's amount of cocaine. Amount, yeah. I, 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 I also went for a period of, of, of drug use. I had my own kind of demons with this. But the most I ever did in a night was like five or six grams. And that was a lot. Mm. So this is, you know, probably... I mean, I, look, I, that's not... I can't, I can't say it's the exact amount because you don't know. But I was rounding it off because I, I was just trying to think about my... my, uh, my um, routine for the day and what I was doing so if I if I made it sort of if I worked it out on a you know sort of what I was doing uh, maybe it wasn't every day but it, there were some days when it got to around that because it was you know being out or whatever it was so I, I rounded it off but yet yeah, it's an incredibly embarrassingly horrible amount and 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 dangerous and I you know uh, don't ever ever anyone listen to this 
attempt to even it's, try this yeah, stuff because it's absolutely, absolutely right. horrible. I would never, I would never advocate for any of it anymore because I know what the damage can be. You know, what is it you're avoiding? What were you running away from? What were you gaining from that lifestyle? From you, you know, kind of immersing yourself in this kind of fame-driven lifestyle, drug use, etc. What, what was that? How was that serving you? Do you know what? I still don't know. I think I did. I think through my my own journey of discovery about me, there's a lot of stuff I've let go of, right? And I actually believe that uh, whatever went on for me then or what was going on underneath the underlying stuff, which obviously I was trying to mask, I don't know if, if any particular one aspect of it was very... If you, know, if you can if you compare, and I don't really like comparisons, but if you compare some of the stories I've heard and listened to over the years of people I've coached and helped to get, you know, hopefully some a better look on life. Uh, that to me, they don't seem as, as, as powerful or as, as traumatic, but I think, I think what, um, I think what resonates with me now is that it was, it's, there was a lot of things that happened when I was in, in a short space of time when I was a kid in a, a very, very impactful uh, period of my life which were hard to understand and hard to deal with on your own because I had no siblings, so I suppose I'm not blaming being an only child because I'm, you know, I'm unique, but the old <laughs> cliche, I'm unique, I mean, one of the, but I, I suppose without having someone to, to rub off on and, you know, and to, to talk to and explain what's going on and feel the, the sort of uh, uniqueness we'll share it with, who knows? I, I've never been. I've, I've sort of got to the bottom of it, and I don't know if it's actually, you know, you know I've let go of a lot of the stuff, so I don't like to, to go back over it. I don't think it's, I don't no, think it's helpful for me. But, but um, was there an element of Blocko trying to block something out? Of course. I, I, look, I firmly believe there was stuff that I was not able to face. Mm. I'm not. I sort of dealt with it, and I, I think it was easier because I had to create a mask when I was very young, mm. right? The mask mm -hmm. I created was that, that yes. I was able to take, attempt the stupidest things, crazy stunts, be the maddest, outspoken, gregarious, which was again, now I realise, probably low self-esteem, high extrovert, yeah? Which uh, now I, I hope I'm, well, I don't hope, I know that I'm aware of any of that sort of stuff going on and I, I change it if that's the way I'm feeling and I have no reason to be high extrovert anymore because I've done that and I think, you know, I, 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 my self-esteem is improving daily Although, only until recently, I, it became apparent that that's probably one of the most un biggest underlying factors of, of why the stuff that we do impacts on us, because we have low self-esteem without realising we don't actually like ourselves very much. So I, I think one of the messages I'm saying in this now is that if you feel you're not good enough, you are, and if you feel that you have low self-esteem, ask yourself the question, do I have low self-esteem? Look at the way you treat yourself and how you look at yourself, how you dress yourself. And just make the changes because you know each each one of you as an individual is worth every single ounce of what you are as a, as a person. So, and I think there's a really powerful point there that our relationship with ourselves is the most important relationship we have, and most of us don't foster and nurture the relationship no, with ourselves. You know, most that. people don't look in the mirror mm. and look at the person they see and say, "I love you." I appreciate you. I thank you. I honour you. Yeah, and I think that's a really really important factor. And, you know, that, that's really something I want to get to with, with your story, the life-changing moment. Obviously, the, 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 our whole show is about life-changing conversations. 
And I assume it was the moment that the doctors told you you've got two le- two weeks left to live if you don't change your ways. I actually, uh, no, there was it was a moment, it was before that, right? There was a moment which thank God come to me in clarity. In a moment of uh, let's say a moment of clarity, when I was sitting in the A and E department once again, like for the fourth time that week, which happened to be you know I pretty much did that every week. Because like the, the the GP had now stopped like prescribing me uh, you know various painkillers and because I now don't forget I was I had all the illnesses as well as the uh, the entrenched cocaine use I had um, TB hepatitis and was this as a result of cocaine use uh, yeah it was uh, results of my actions while under the influence like diving in Hong Kong Harbour and picking up my immune system being shot to bits and then picking up you know various diseases from now. obviously your immune system is completely wasted because of the uh, the intake of everything else. Uh, so diving into Hong Kong Harbour wasn't the best thing to do. Um, various other silly escapades, which caused me to 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 get ill. Um, so I was physically very very unwell. The substances were no longer masking the pain. So now I was just not only was I taking these obscene amounts of you know drugs, I was just I was actually dying. I was physically dying, and and I sat in this chair in the A and E department. I said, Mister Block, we have no idea what to do with you now. We can't give you distalgesics, which were a pavement killer at the time, which were very powerful. We can't give you anything. You, you've just worn out of it. But look at you. You're, 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 you're a shadow of a man. What are you? What are you doing? And it, it, it's sitting there thinking, what's going on here? Well, I don't know. What, I didn't actually know where I was or who I was. I, you know, it was like a very weird experience. So I was sitting there rocking in the chair again with, you know, like the, you know, what's going on for me and scratching my arms because I had like, you know, blood poisoning and whatever. And uh, I, I just went, it's enough, it's enough. I've actually had enough. And that was the moment. And you just stopped overnight? Well, I, 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 I obviously, that was, if you look at the cycle of change, that was now not into, that was now no pre-contemplation. That was in complete contemplation and decision. So now I had to take action, uh, which I then... I then thought, right, okay, so I realised I can't stop this, like, now, because I don't know how to. Because there was no information. How am, I, how am I going to stop my life like that? So then I made some inquiries, and I did take the action. You know, I spoke to my dad, and I said, look, do you know anyone who can help me with this? Because he obviously realised, well, I mean, everyone knew what state I was in. So I, my dad made some inquiries, found me Will Shanahan, who's my saviour, and my, uh, you know, who's also the cousin of Colton, so I can't, so I can't consultant psychiatrist to the whole of Westminster and Chelsea Westminster and uh, the main authority on uh, cocaine addiction in the country. So it turns out I met the best of the best. I was the best and I met the best. Uh, and when I, when I went to them, I, you know, I had, a, I had a, a complete and utter blowout the night before I was going in because it was just like, it made sense to do that. Um, but I went in there that morning and I, I, I think I'd come to the decision. I think that was probably the most important decision I've made in my life to this day with intention and with conviction and with a view to you know not changing it so now i did that went into the hospital and i did three weeks detox i didn't i didn't need rehab or anything like that and i just stopped overnight from that amount and literally i i, I mean they would give me various uh you know i was taking antidepressants i was taking antipsychotics i was taking you know diazepans i was taking uh, a whole series of pills to, to counteract the effects of what you know I'd done myself, and then after about two months, I mean I had a slip, they call a slip, you know a little a little hiccup, 
which was one night in a nightclub. And you know, the fact that you go back straight into the nightclubs after an, an experience like that is probably not the wisest thing to do, but I was quite stubborn and I thought, I'm not giving up my music because I love my music. I'm going to go and do this and face whatever comes at me head on. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know about triggers because they don't tell you. I mean, they do initially, but you don't actually realize that you work with this stuff. So I, I just sort of went into this fire pit in nightclubs and just faced everything that come at me. And um, I never went back. I never, I never had. But I, I guess one of your, you know, one of the, the, the kind of benefits of having such a strong character and personality, you're very strong, or you're very determined, is in moments like that, that will serve you. Um, and where does that come from? Where does your character, determination, personality, where does that come from? I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe a desire to, you know, maybe that maybe that comes from my own sort of realizations back when I was a kid that I, you know, if I didn't change or didn't, if I didn't embrace more of me, look, I suppose I, I you know, think about it now. It's quite a good question. You know, it's a very good question actually. So, um, what's come to me now? All right. So back when you were a kid growing up. I had to make the mask. I had to make mm. something to keep me safe or keep me uh, from, I don't know what, what was going to happen to me. What was the fear? What was the fear of what not being liked, fear of not being you know, accepted, fear of not being uh, you know, able to get on in life? So I suppose the mask I made or the, you know, the persona I created uh, was in a part one who wasn't going to let, let me down. So maybe I've drawn on the, the aspects that I've created there and thought, you know what, if I'm stubborn, I mean, I, I do challenge myself a lot and I do like to leave it to the last minute, right? Mm -hmm. So I can get the most out of it. And, you know, I still mm -hmm. think that's something that I do a little bit of. Uh, but my tenacity and I suppose my my uh, passion to, to, to do these things is, I, I don't know, maybe, I, look, I've got a passion for life and now more than ever, I, I have this, you know, the, the thing to help people and, you know, share my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, which is probably half of why uh, I do that. Look, I, I suppose, look, I, I had the opportunity to do it myself back then. It didn't work. And I didn't, I didn't want to. I didn't, you know, I made the decision not to. So I thought, well, you know, uh, why would I then carry on and, and try it later down the line when I've actually stopped from the worst place there and now I have some something to offer elsewhere? Um, that's probably where a lot of this comes from. Uh, you know, I think the more we, as you say, get in touch with ourselves, get out of the way and stop doubting what we're here for and just love the fact that we're alive in a human world of compassion and, you know, and connectivity and uh, awareness and, you know, the, all this stuff that we have as the beings that we are. No, absolutely. I think, you know, I'm guessing that the, the idea of, of dying must be quite a scary thought was was that in and of itself enough motivation or was it because there was something bigger and more worth you living for than the pain of going through withdrawal because ultimately you know we <coughs> actually move away from pain and towards pleasure yeah so I, well, the pain the fear of living back then in that that environment was uh, now became too fearful Mm. of living in the place where I was still using, right? That was fearful because not only was, I, I, I knew my head was getting to explode at some point, 
uh, I was now getting scared of how my was, uh, you know, mm. my my whole brain would have been rewired if I'd have carried on. If I'd have lived physically, mentally, I'd have been. I don't know what I'd have been. Mm -hmm. I really don't. And I, I, if I think about it now, it's uh, f so frightening. I just think, you know, if you'd have rewired every single nerve cell, can you imagine doing that? every single brain cell that was alive? That survived through that 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 caning I've given it would be rewired with this. It's a horrendous way to think and be. So I suppose um, the fear. Of, okay, then it was the fear of the fear of living. Mm. Uh, but then when you stop, you have the normal inherent fear of dying. Yeah. When you're alive, it's, it's a paradox. So it's a paradox, total paradox. But you know, so now. But the, the, the challenge you've got is that when you're going through that kind of experience, you've got to face the physical, mental, emotional symptoms withdrawal. And, you know, that really is hell. What was that like going through that? Vietnam, point? mate. It was like having bombs go from my head in my head every day. Uh, I, if I, I tell you what was my, my, my sort of saviour, right? along with Bill Shannon. I mean, okay, the groups helped me for a period of time, but I didn't find the fulfilment from them. Because I think I was quite... Uh, I found spirituality hard and I found the acceptance of being powerless hard because I thought, you know, I, I'm powerful. I've always thought that. I thought that I knew this is the most powerful thing in my universe, right? So I used to spend, I used to spend a month. It, it was like this little book. It was called The Little Book of Stress. I don't know if you remember they did these little... Yeah. Little, remember the little books yeah. in the tech chemist? There was a little bit of bowels problem, a little bit of this one. So I just looked at it and I thought, right, Little Book of Stress. Right? I read it and I read it every day. And each time I read it, my anxiety levels came down because it explained, all it explained was how anxiety works, right? So it explained there's a habitation period, it gets really bad, it will never kill you, and then it comes away. So what I did was I mapped my progress each day by reading the book, and then I'd realise how it came, when. What was it like for people that have no understanding of oh, what it would be like to go God, it, it, If you will, if you, if you... The anxiety can be crucified, and I'll be honest with you, it really can. So I do empathise with anyone who goes through that process because it is fucking frightening, right? However, as I said, it won't kill you, and it will only get as high as you let it, or as high as you are at that point. And if you don't, if you can accept that this is happening, and accept that it will come down and make it easier on yourself. And I know the thinking processes then kick in, and you start, uh, you start having these belief systems and paradigms about all the situations they, they, they fire out of control and then it becomes a whole complete brain fog if you just accept that's what's happening and I know it's very difficult it takes practice but you will not you it won't last long and all I can say is it comes down and you feel great the thing that for me was I had 30 days of it before I had a respite mm. and then yeah and then and then that respite would be right <sighs> a bit like that I think oh my god you know, people say, I've had seen the light. I never saw the light. I never saw that moment when everything left me because it came straight back and I had 30, then I'd have 29 days. Then I'd have 28 days. Then I'd have 27 days. Then I'd have 26 days, maybe. Then you go back to 29 and you get 25 days. And you, it was a, a proper journey. And How long did that last? Oh, God. I, 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 honestly, I suppose if I was real and I had moments of a few days of... Uh, stress but powerful ones i didn't get a real uh normal sort of period for five years wow so yeah, you, were, you basically were going through i put myself through it man and not yeah not withdrawal. i mean no emotional torment tor yeah. trauma or torment let's say 
And it wasn't, it wouldn't, there was nothing that was going to make it better. Nothing that was going to be an immediate cure because I think I'd done so much damage with the use and twisted so many brain cells to rewire the whole thing. You've got to rewire a life. You can't just rewire a few years. You've got to rewire a whole life and, and you know, uh, uh, to, to attempt things without. No, that's, I've got, that's massive respect. Like five years ago, going through that, a lot of people would have looked for a way out. Um, and I never no did. I never want. And I think. But I was, it wasn't. It wasn't just looking for a way out. You carried on. You were still DJing. You were still repairing. Yeah, you, you're in repair and recovery, but you still continued DJing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, was it important for you to be in that environment to prove that you could still do it without drugs, rather than avoid and hide away? Because if you're going through that kind of emotional torment for five years, but you're still showing up in the world, like you, you know, was it important for you to do that? I think it's vitally important. I, I think, you know, for me to make my point, uh, I found that it was, it was absolutely necess necessary because, you know, um, you know, I wasn't going to change my world. I wasn't going to change the people I knew. I wasn't going to change my DJ. And I wasn't going to move out of the way. I wasn't going to live in Antarctica. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to do any of this stuff, which traditionally you're supposed to do to give yourself a better chance. I thought, I've made a decision. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it hurts. And yes, it's, it's really, really tough. But, so, I, I, yes, I re it's really tough. Yes, I'm gonna have to go through some quite challenging times. Yes, it's, but, you know, uh, well, look, I, I didn't know what I wanted to achieve, but I just knew I wasn't gonna adhere to, because that's my rebellious side. I wasn't gonna adhere to the, the you know, the, 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 the normal rules of this is how it's done. You know, I, I probably, uh, you know, I was rebelling against the norm, but it now serves me that, there's other ways to do whatever there is to do. You know, I'm adaptable in a way. Uh, look, even when I think about it now, it was a horrible place to be for five years. And, it, you know, it, maybe I could have done it easier. Maybe I could have been easier on myself. Who knows? But it, I can't look back there now. All well, I know is where I'm here now. As, as we've been talking about, that you were able to use that experience and your journey and, and, and your, your story to help others. And, you know, obviously, now coming into a period in your life where potentially there may be a void because that whole lifestyle, the millions of adoring fans, the, the drugs, etc. That that's, it's not quite the same anymore. How did you cope with the fact that there's now a void which used to be filled by the kind of the hedonistic aspects of your previous lifestyle? Well, look, you know what? This is not, it's not a recent experience. That, that I let, look, we, all my peers, DJs, the same, we're all in the same boat. We all we were all very famous in our own rights. We're all still, you know, we're still amongst a certain demographic of people. We're all fairly famous. We're all still out there DJing, which is really cool, and being able to do that, very grateful for that. Um, but I let go of that a long time ago, and that was a very difficult thing to do because you, as you, as you quite rightly said, there was a massive void because not only did I, you know, stop using drugs twenty two years ago. But after that, there's a void to fill mm. with life, which I did in the hardest way possible. Uh, and on top of that, there's the the, 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 the change in technology and the change in, you know, obviously young DJs embracing the whole experience and now coming on board and the world opening up even bigger to music. Mm. <coughs> so there's another change to accept. And, now, and more, you know, and even to this day now, more changing with, with the world of, you know, this world we're in, the, the, the personal journey world, mm. well-being world. Uh, more changes to accept and more changes to let go of necessarily. And, and you, so I think, you know, there's a book we read called Letting Go. Mm -hmm. And even if you just say it, I'm letting go. Mm -hmm. Even those words, the language, powerful. You know, and, and, and when you say to yourself, you let go, just let go. I mean, what's, 
what you've got to look at is what's, if I don't let go, what am I achieving? Am I serving myself? Is it going to achieve anything good for me? Or am I just holding on to something which, you know, again, you talk about what is in your control, what's partially in your control, and what's completely out of your control. So if you can let go of the stuff that's out of your control, they can't control change. You're not gonna, I'm not going to, you can control something in your power to change, but. You can control your reactions to change. We're not gonna, I can't control the world, and I can't control technology because I'm not as powerful enough to do that. So I can control my reaction and control my awareness and control my uh, developing of possibilities and look at look at ways for things to be. Uh, what can I get from this? I mean, they're all great learning experiences. Uh, of course, and, and obviously we, we were talking earlier about your 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 whole personal development journey and the the, the different things that you tried. You mentioned Tony Robbins talks about NLP. Um, you, you know, I know that you kind of uh, experienced things like goal mapping and various other things, and that all led you to, to Happy Days and, and mm. what you're doing now. So just tell us, what, you know, what is the aim for Happy Days? What, what, what do you hope to achieve? Oh, I think what we did, we sat in a room and we just said, the thing that came to me was that if, you know, I, I think even then I was, I was actually, you know, just coming out of, let's say, burnout and just having that discovery, it doesn't kind of happen overnight. You know, I think you have to be on a journey. Mm. So I think the thing about Happy Days was that I actually, because I was, I, been burnt out I think to, to lift myself and out of the routine of thinking terribly in the morning and thinking terribly which then impacts on the rest of the day and actually not feeling great yes power positivity but it's difficult on a daily basis so I think what our, our idea of happy days was that if you can just change a few fundamental small things in the morning to make yourself habitually think better mm. over time you will not get up in that same place and if you do it for a few months you will then resonate at a better level and and you will be able to function better achieve more you won't be so scared of your goals and if you get a routine of like like forgetting about the tasks you didn't do yesterday and just focus on your lovely evening with yourself or your family or your partner do something in the morning to make yourself feel okay either it's gratitude or just you know something and no one's saying jump out and be Run because a lot of people can't go and run out and go jogging or can't go to the gym at first thing. For those people who don't, who don't have that opportunity, just a few little things to change how you feel and how you think. I mean, look in smart recovery. There's a great little tool called I can't remember the name of the tool, but it goes: How am I thinking? How am I feeling? How am I feeling mentally? How am I feeling spiritually? How am I? Uh, you know, there's five. It's the, it's the five rules. So and and you just say right. So I might sit here and think. How am I doing with these three things? What can I change to make myself feel a little better? I can change that. Balance, change that, you feel a little better. Repetitiveness, do that three or four months, you are in a different place. And you know, um, generally you move onwards and upwards from there, adding to your, you know, your life experience. So that's what Happy Days is about. It's about you know, sharing cool quotes, nice affirmations, nice stories, sharing experiences with people like yourself on Facebook Lives. Um, I think the idea is, the way it's mapping itself out is that it may soon become a, um, a sort of platform for organisations like yourself and people who have, you know, companies who are now, not, not yourself, but other people who come to us and sort of caught up in a world of <laughs> tough competition mm. and having to put big prices up, which now defeats the object of giving back and well-being because it comes about money money and not about the actual core beliefs of helping people 
So I think you know the idea is that it may it, soon it becomes a platform where people come and share their stuff, give people affordable treatments or interventions, which then go, you know what? Mm. It, it, then it widens the world. It doesn't narrow it. It doesn't become about you. It becomes about everyone else still. And I've never been about that. All meaning because I just don't think I've got it in me anymore. Well, it's interesting. I, I was uh, I met with a mate not that long ago, uh, and I said, "Oh, you know, I've, uh, I've got, got to know Brian a lot. We've become mates, and we've spent a lot of time talking." Uh, and he started laughing. He's like, "You know what? That Blocko, he's a diamond geezer. He said, "I used to work in Home Base when I was younger, and he said Blocko came in and bought something, and I gave him a hand uh, to get his stuff to the car." He said he gave me a twenty pound tip, and he's like, in all the years that I worked in home base, right? And it's, that was when he was like seventeen or eighteen. So in all the years I worked in home base, no one ever gave me a tip, and Blocker gave me a twenty pound tip. So there's a lot of people that you probably may not even remember that have experienced the the kind of the real, the big heart that you have, and and and, and the fact that you do everything with a real sort of positive intention. And you don't think about yourself when you think about others, and it's great that you've been able to find a way to express that through happy days. And as I said, like, you, you know, it's, it's very rare that you'll come across someone that hasn't got a funny story about you, particularly in the local area for people <laughs> of our kind of age group where the, 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 you know, may have bumped into you or been to a party that you've been at or that kind of thing. But, you know, I guess the thing I want to ask is not what other people remember about you. What have you learned about Blocko through this entire journey of your life? I suppose I've learned that, you know, uh, you don't have to be so critical you don't have to be perfect you don't have to be something you don't want to be you don't have to aspire to be something that other people think you should be and you don't have to think about what other people think of you i think you know that a lot of these things that we work with nowadays are as i say you know just just be be honest with yourself and be true to yourself and be the best person you can be be good at whatever you do attempt it with the best heart if you don't succeed, then don't worry. Just you know, change it. You know, don't don't worry about failing. I think we're just all too demanding. I think in this world now, it can be so detrimental because we just expect so much of ourselves. And you know, again, it makes so much sense when we did a trainers training. You know, you look at what people expect. Mm. And when Simon Sinek talked about, uh, you know, corporations who sit at the sit in the uh, you know the, the the 19th floor sit around the table and, and dish out orders and expectations to people who they live me you know and these these other people who work in those nine to five or nine to six or nine to seven or nine to eight which is which is the workload they've been put on um, and you know not knowing where this power comes from and not knowing this either you know that loss of interaction again you know and that that's <laughs> it's impeded by te- enhanced by technology impeded by it it's always been that way, but you know, I think you'll find the fundamentals of working from what I see is that, you know, without that connectivity, without the in touch, you know, it's, I think, what's wrong with the boss going, morning, and actually remembering a name? Mm. And I, I tend to remember people's names, I always acknowledge uh, people I meet, I t- I'm quite good, I, 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 I make a point of it now, actually trying to remember people's names when I get introduced, and say hi, and I, I, I you know, I will remember that name, and I think it's it's quite important that you make it personal because mm. they've got they're taking the time to be personal with you, and share them, which you know, for whatever reasons. It, 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 I, I, I'm very, 
I'm very humble around that. I think you know it's really nice that people have selfies with me. And I don't think it's I, I, it, it touches me that you know people still want to take photos with someone who's getting old and it passes. Yeah, there's some life left passing, in you. Yeah. Settle by date. Yeah, I think there's but, some uh, life left in you yet, mate. But you took you, you mentioned little blocko. So if you were able to bump into your younger self, maybe that we could take you back in time to that John Lyon pub that day when that DJ didn't turn up. If you know, if you could bump into to little Blocko, if you could live your life again, what would you do differently? What would you say to little Blocko? All now? I'd say to him is, look, I've been through this. I think a few times. I don't think my life was bad. I think it was fantastic. Right. I think I've had a great fun. I've had lots of really uh, sort of uh, powerful and adrenaline fueled experiences in different ways. You know, I haven't done. Well, I have died. I mean, I've done skydiving. I've I've climbed up mountains, I've, you know, albeit in whatever it is, I, I've done bungee jumps, I've done sort of, I've done lots of stuff like that, which I'm very happy to have done. You know, I've been on telly, I'm very grateful, you know, I've had, you know, I had a TV career as such. Uh, I think what I'd say to young Blocko is be kinder to yourself. That was all. I just, I'd just say, look, you, you don't need to go as mental. Because I think, you know, you, you, know, you don't need to push your life and your body to that limit. That's all. Do you have any regrets? That's the only regret I think I've had. I actually think that the only regret I've had that I actually took myself to a place where I had to put myself through so much to get better. But no, I get what you're saying, but you know. Did I, you learn from those regrets though? Because obviously that that must have been part of the journey, right? Yeah. I've learned loads, and I've learned loads about me, and I, you know, I sort of, I just, I just wish it hadn't been as painful for me and I think you know what you've got to realise is you are quite you're, you're, you're so your mind is so powerful and so if you don't if you, you know if you don't speak to it or you know treat it the right way it can be so and you know the, 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 the thing you've got to remember is it not trying to do anything bad to you it's only the stuff it's been taught that it has to judge and perceive and I think that's, you know, that's what's, you know, the, with the added uh, learning of becoming human through the years of, you know, from caveman days, which, you know, when instinctually, behaviour-wise, we've just added more and more fear of, of, of you know, the, your fellow man, your animal, whatever it is, you know, you, the, the wars and stuff. I mean, you know, you, you as the world evolves, there's just so much more to be fearful of. So... Yeah, I just, I just, I suppose it, if I, my experience of learning, it's great up to now. But I just think if it was it, uh, that that period, as you asked about earlier, I've never thought about it until you know. I did tell people it took me a long time, and I did remember going through that that horrible, you know, sort of learning of getting rewiring. It took a long time, and I, but I don't think there's any quick way. I think it was just the way it is, and you know, unfortunately, it takes everything was fearful because you hadn't experienced it with normal for so long so that's you know the only thing I say is well you know make sure you don't get to that place of it being that bad that in and of itself is it's, it's a big lesson I, I, I've spent a lot of time around the party scene I kind of grew up in that era um, you know I've been around a lot of people that really gained it hard mm. but I don't know anyone that's taken as much drugs as you have and and lived to tell the tale mm. and I don't know about you, but do you believe that there's a reason that you're still here? Is there a song? And I guess this is obviously this, you know, I'm getting a bit spiritual now, but I believe that when we had those kind of experiences and we've really sort of danced with the devil, 
but we're still here. There's got to be a deeper reason for that. Do you believe that there is a reason for you? And if so, what is that reason? Well, I do now. It's only taken me till recently to you know. Um, I believe that the reason, what is that reason? I think, look, we've said it before, I suppose it's to, uh, hopefully to empower people to realize that they can change lots of things. And I mean, my thinking, behavior cycles or whatever it was back then were, were incredibly just, you know, uh, out there. Why would it be such a, I mean, I get the idea of the routines. I understand how we work and I get the, but the such, the intensity of it and the, and the, and the entrenched chaos there's got to be it's an example of what not to do mm-hmm. and an example of being if you can be aware and thank god i hope that the I hope with a passion that no one ever actually to go that place again because it, you know mm-hmm. i'm very lucky to be here i do appreciate that and i it's it's a you know especially 20 20 odd years later you know so uh, and still you know still be able to to do pretty much everything i did back then um, music, DJing, I'm very grateful, I travel the world still, you know, I still get big gigs, I get a lot of, you know, corporate gigs and, you know. And how does it feel now when you're DJing and you're seeing younger people clearly under the influence of drink, drugs, that kind of thing, when you're seeing it from your perspective, seeing it from the, the benefit of your life experience, how does that make you feel when you see people that are at the kind of stage of life that you may have found yourself in 20 years? Well, I mean, years I'll be honest with you, that sort of I suppose I can't be judgmental. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not David Icke. I'm not going to say everything's bad, you know. I mean, as long as we, we can't, we can only make people aware of the dangers and the risks. And as long as we do that, then obviously they're humans, they have to make their own choices. Mm-hmm. It's down to them and, you know, often as, if we give them that power, then great. Hopefully they make the right decision, which is brilliant. But you know, the, the thing I found recently is that a company you want to do some work with is that, that a lot of the millennials now are no longer doing that. Mm-hmm. There is definitely ma- a change in There's a lot of not making, not drinking, not taking drugs, they find it very, they, it's not, it's actually not serving them. They want well, to learn, they want to experience life and, and it, it, this is, it, it's impeding them from doing that. Well, we, we, we uh, were invited to a conference in Amsterdam, which I was chairing, a wellbeing at work conference. We met some from Heineken. And Heineken's uh, spending a significant amount of money on, on non-alcoholic on the, on the beverages. Bit, yes. A big chunk of their research and development funding is on, on non-alcoholic beverages, and they're not unique. So this is there is definitely a change in shifting culture, which is it, fascinating. No, it's, well, it's it, it's it's about time. No, but the thing about it now, we ha- we have such a massive awareness in uh, our consciousness and about you know what this stuff does, right? And we know it's not good for you. There's no advertising anymore. Mm. There's no billboards with Marlboro Man or you know, Leonard Rosser and Joan Collins on telly saying, mm. love Martini, dear. There's no, uh, I, don't, I think vodka might advertise, I'm not sure, but there's no, it's not in your face like it used to be, right? It's not, because you know, they, they realize that, that this stuff's just not gonna change for the better. The more people get involved in it, the worse it's gonna get. So I think the, uh, the fact that alcohol companies are now making big changes towards non-alcoholic beverages and making it cool to be out because people want to go out and this is one thing that you know like, so the, the sober raves are cool the sober events are cool the the the, the well-being you know like parties in the mornings are really cool mm. what 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 is it wrong with not having any of that stuff 
I mean, you know, any alcohol or any drug. What about making people so well and happy in their own rights and giving them exactly what they, the experience of nightclubs or discos, that's what they want to dance into great music without the escapism, when you make them so well mm. and give them the opportunity to be, to be so and feel so well, they have no need for changing the way they feel. They just immerse themselves in the experience as it is and that's enough. So the dopamine hits are natural. The serotonin mood stabilizers always at a level. The oxytocin is, is you know, uh, you can feel it without, you know, additives. You've all got the chemicals inside you to make yourself feel rounded human being without using anything else. So that would be a great world to, to, uh, to be. It's an amazing journey for you to still be here to help to create that world. So thank you. Blocko, it's honestly, it's been such a pleasure. I could talk to you for hours and I'm sure there will be another life changing conversation with you at some point in the future because we haven't even got halfway into your story yet. Where can people find out more about Happy Days? So Happy Days is, a, uh, we have a, a, a Facebook page and a Facebook group, which we will be, the group will be being opened up soon and we've got more content to add to it. The website's coming soon. There'll be online coaching. So uh, what was the, the Facebook page? How can people find exactly. it? Happy Days Online Coach is the Facebook page. Um, there's content on there. You just ask to be added. You can add what you want. It's, a, it's all about affirm positive affirmations. It's about uh, great stories, nice daily, look, daily positive affirmations in a one place. And we all, there's a lot of people who come and share there because everyone has a, has a moment of look, looking at YouTube thinking, oh, I like that in the morning. No, I want to play, share this with my friends. So I come and share it on Happy Days, which is brilliant. You've got Facebook Lives going on. Facebook Lives with various people like yourself and, and, and people who have just got great stories of, of you know, overcoming um, adversity and changing their lives. So, you know, we all know it's doable. So we'll make sure we get the lovely Kaylee to post in links and in, in the comments when we post the post the, the podcast so people can find that quite easily. Also, the book is out, Life and Lines of Brandon Block. You can get on Amazon then. Yes. Oh, we right. self-published. That was in 2011. So Between the Lines, it's, it's called Life and Lines of Brandon Block. So we, the next one's going to be called Between the Lines. And I think that's going to be coming soon. It's going to be a bit different from this. It's going to be talking about exactly what we've been talking about now. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think... Um, yeah, if people want it, I, I've got a ebook version, a very small giveaway, which we will be, be posting on the site soon, which has got a few chapters of, of a bit of interest. Oh, cool, cool. Well, we'll make sure we get that for all our listeners as well. Wicked. Wicked. All right, listen, it's been such a pleasure. Um, and yeah, you know, there are some conversations I have which I can absolutely resonate with, and it's been a real joy to have you here. Looking forward to hearing more about your onward journey with Happy Days, and um, yeah, I'm sure everybody's really excited to, to get more involved with the stuff that you do. It's been really great talking to you again, and uh, uh, you know, I, I'm happy that we're you know we are now resonating towards each other. I think in a way that you know I can see a future, our dreams of becoming you know not world changers become less you know just dreams and more reality. You've been listening to the Life Changing Conversations podcast with Neil Shah. This podcast was produced by Change Your World Events in collaboration with the Stress Management Society. Like, comment and share and keep the conversation going. Hashtag LCC podcast.